welcome to Chapman and Robin. I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bird. And how are you doing, Boo? Um, <laughs> I think I'm doing all right. Good. I think my scalp is pretty sunburned. Yeah, we had a we had a bit of a walk today. We took the dog for a... How long were we gone? I don't even know. Like three... A long time. Three and a half hours, four Maybe. hours. We, we spent the entire day out in the baking sun, bird enjoying the scenery and me just devouring as much ice cream and muffins oh and God. cappuccinos as I could possibly fit in my face. Yeah, um, your ice cream seriously was like the biggest ice cream cone I've seen in well, I a thought, long time. I thought to myself, she's like, one scoop or two, and I thought to myself, one scoop should be fine, right? That'll be... Cone and all, it was certainly taller than your head is. Yeah, from the bottom of the cone to the top of the ice cream, it was longer than my head. I was like, yeah. Jesus <laughs> It was banana. It was a banana fudge cake was the bottom oh, scoop, and blueberry good. waffle cone was the top, and it was so, so good. good. I mean, I felt sick when I was done eating it. <laughs> I had a chocolate dipped waffle cone too. It was oh my god, the pinnacle of decadence. Um, but go for the gold. Yeah, well, it was. I, I I justified myself enormously. Bird's like, "Why are you doing this?" And I was like, "Well, it's a summer day, and we're out, we're walking, we're walking our dog, and <laughs> the breeze, and oh, I'm forming Ray Bradbury esque memories of my <laughs> yeah, idyllic day." And then oh, I was like, goodness. "I'm throw up in this garbage can." It was pretty bad. Um, yeah. So we are sitting down to record <clears throat> this at about the, in seven o'clock ish, in the. Uh, 807. 807. Um, I just came to be in. precise. I just came in from outside and noticing the uh, the delicate fragrance of <clears throat> marijuana smoke. The eight o'clock. Mm. The eight o'clock weed smoke smell on the air <laughs> from somewhere nearby. Um, speaking of uh, mind altering substances, what is it you're drinking, Bird? <laughs> <laughs> Totally not mind altering. Um, I had an awesome tea that Max picked out today. Um, From brew. So yeah, so I tried Local to recreate shop. it. Um, it was a what Madagascar vanilla something. It was uh, Madagascar vanilla cold brewed tea. It was it, it was it vanilla was bean. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a black tea based tea. Yes. It was. Um, so I just tried to recreate it at home very poorly. I'm definitely gonna try again because it was so good. Um, so I made, um, a bunch of strong black tea. I oversteeped it. So it probably would taste a lot better if I hadn't oversteeped it. You only brewed it for like uh, 30 minutes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst with tea steeping. I need like a, an egg timer or something. Um, <clears throat> and then I put some vanilla extract in there and a little hint of sweetness. Mm-hmm. So it's so, so I'm going to work on it. Okay. Um, I am currently drinking Evan Williams with a on the rocks with a splash of water. Um, I intended my drink to be a <coughs> Gordon's Gimlet, but Bird wasn't done with her research, so I was sitting out on the Sorry. patio and I read my Henry Miller and I drank that drink, and then I was like, "Well, another drink's not gonna hurt," so I'm gonna take it real slow through this one so that you guys get cogent sentences and <laughs> somewhat clear ideas out of me during uh, during recording. So we're back to Lost Girls again as. We're gonna be doing for like the next year. <laughs> oh God! Uh, we just so it's broken into three books. It was originally released as three separate books, composed of chapters. Mm. So 
So was were the um, double page spreads in there? Were those the covers? Do you know? I'm not sure. The you're talking about the interstitial artwork between the yeah. books because we oh just my God. we just started the second book. It's called Neverlands, book two. So it's Lost Girls, book two, Neverlands. And I had a note about the interstitial art too. Oh it's my God, stunning! This is the cover. Oh, that's okay. I think that's the cover. This might be like the the First, fly. Like yeah. I was thinking, the flyleaf. It might gotcha. be like the flyleaf artwork, um, right before chapter one. So uh, in the edition that we have, we have the hard. We said it was two thousand eight. This came from. So this is the. Uh-huh. I think that's I right. Remember. So this is the. We have the hardcover, um, deluxe edition of Lost Girls. It's all three books bound into one volume. Um, I'm not sure what page we're on. We're so it's it's right before chapter eleven starts. We're talking about it, a double page spread. It's is this all colored pencil? Yeah. I was wondering about that. It's gorgeous. It's stunning. What it is, really is. It, it's basically the three mm-hmm. our three protagonists in a boat. Um, but it's not any version of them that we've seen before. They're pretty much identifiable by the color of their hair. Well, yeah. This is the. Um this sort of the style that she does for each of the like chapter, the chapter main chapter or he- book headings. Yeah. That yeah. almost feels like pieces of artwork that she did separately. Um, oh, that were included later or something. I'm not sure about that, but I'm, I'm wondering if like Alan Moore pitched her on it or something. And before she started working on the book proper, she did some like preliminary pieces of art. Like, oh, okay, so I'm dealing with these three characters. Because the character design is very different. It, this is These are the drawings of them mm-hmm. as young women, essentially. Although mm-hmm. Dorothy's young in every version. Right. By the way, speaking of not inconsistencies in art, but variances in the art, I wanted to ask oh, yeah. you about, are we both talking about the same thing? I'm talking about Dorothy. What? No, not Dorothy. Wendy. Yes. So do you want to wait until we get to that issue to talk yeah, about let's it? Let's wait. Okay, I had some very I had a I have a big question about this all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and also one thing I wanted to note because I I just couldn't I can't hold on to it anymore. Um, um before we go on, can we talk about this um piece a little bit more? I would l- yeah, I'd like to. Um so the first thing that I saw about this um piece is um Alice is just captivating Mm -hmm. she's looking out at you and it's like you're having this moment with her it's something about her eyes yeah. and then only after i like got away from her did i notice this beautiful like um pergola or something um in the background um it looks island yeah it looks like it's out of like a Base AG. It looks like an Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah. It looks like an Edgar Rice Burroughs <clears throat> building from the uh, Frazetta covers. Yeah. Um, and then all these flowers in the foreground are just gorgeous. And we see the um, the poppy the here poppy again in the corner, and it just pops up over and over and over. See, it's here as it's well. What they're holding. Yeah. Yep. If you flip back one, if you have the same edition we do, and flip back to the the Neverland's title page, the artwork on the opposite page where uh, Alice and and Wendy are kneeling before Dorothy. Dorothy's holding a um, a poppy. But so, what, yeah, just... what caught me about this piece was a couple things, but mm-hmm. I'm glad you, you, you were captivated by Alice as well because Alice is the character we are first introduced to as Lady Fairchild. Mm. So she's our yeah. in. 
mm-hmm. to the this this world, this fairy tale world, this story. So I like that it's her. It's it is she that draws you into this piece of artwork as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like she's our entry point into the world of Lost Girls, she's our entry point into this bizarrely captivating picture. And you know, even their um, the personalities that have been. Uh, created in the previous pages, you can see here still like Alice is very like direct. mature and direct and upright. Um, um, also, wait really quick. She's also looking at if if this is the fourth wall, you can think of this like a like the oh mirror. yeah, she's, she's looking, looking out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wendy is half hidden and mm-hmm. kind of shying away. Has her back to us. Yep. And then, um, of course, Dorothy is being very much like the dreamy child and playing with the water. Yeah. So some of the other things about this piece that really this this particular piece of artwork that really grabbed me were I like sky is beautiful. I liked the texture because if if you just look at it, you're like, oh, this is great. But if you look at it a little longer, like. Seeing all the little pencil strokes in this patch of tree in the upper mm-hmm. right corner and seeing the grain of the boat and realizing the grain of the boat is created by yeah. keeping your pencil strokes consistent. Some of the like the the sketchy qual it's not really sketchy, but the but being able to mm-hmm. see the 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 line work, the, mm-hmm. the little pencil lines in the, the flowers down at the bottom, and then the amazing gradient mm-hmm. that she imagines yeah. to there that she manages to get in the sky from dark yeah. to light. So this is in like the that moment right before sunset, or possibly right before sunrise. I'm thinking sunset. I think this I is think in so too because I feel like these are stars, stars yeah. peeking out. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a beautiful piece. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. Ready to move on? Yeah, I am. Okay. Okay. So, uh, chapter 11 is titled A Caucus Race and a Long Tail. And I have to admit, I'm not entirely sure what that's in reference to. I don't feel like I really get the titles for these chapters very well most of the time. I get a lot of them. Like, I'm just there like, was, Meh. like one of the chapter titles is Come Away, which is a reference to Peter Pan, you know, um, I feel like a lot of them are literary references to the stories. I think I've gotten mm. all of them so far except this one. Like, Looking Glass World is pretty self-explanatory. Come Away, Come Away is fairly self-explanatory. But A Caucus Race and A Long Tail, I didn't get it. I was like, I, I haven't... Have you gotten it now or are you still confused about it? No, I'm still it? confused. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I haven't read it. Uh, um, I haven't read... I haven't read Peter Pan in a long time, and I've never read The Wizard of Oz. So I'm wondering if these are references to... Because last week, when we talked about the um, the Alice in Wonderland stuff, mm-hmm. I had recently read through the our, um, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So I was able to grab a lot of like the references that were being made. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this is a reference to a book that I just haven't read or oh. haven't read recently mm. to get it. My first question is... are are penises really that weird looking? Oh, yeah. They really are. Yeah, huh? penises are weird looking. I'm, <laughs> I was struck. Uh, we're on page one, panel five. For me, page one, panel five. Just that like that like bent, curled, lumpy. It's it's a very strange looking. I don't even. I don't even feel like she draws unattractive penises. You don't think so? No, I would say that these are average slash attractive 
um, penises. Hmm. Um, I, I think that she's, I idealized. I think that she's. Really. Wow, you're skipping. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, no, it's I'm okay. Good. I mean, I don't really throwing stuff. Okay. <laughs> These pens are terrible. The 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 caps just don't stay on. I don't know. I I thought this was a fairly bold way to start this story. This particular. Oh ch- yeah. Well, yeah. this particular chapter is. Uh, it's the, the storytelling conceit is Mr. Potter mm-hmm. is writing a letter to someone back home. Yeah, a co-worker, I think. Yeah, I think so as well. Like um, Fair Fairbanks or whatever his name is, Fairfield. Um, but he's writing a letter back home about, like, essentially about what life is like at the Hotel Himmelgarten, which is, like, it's boring and the staff oh are... Oh, my God, he's, he's such a bastard. He's I know, such he's such an, an asshole and he's just... But he's like, oh, the staff, the staff are all rumpled, and it, you, honestly, if you talk about minimum, uh, what is it, minimum hull <laughs> thickness to them, they glaze right over, and they get bored when he talks about his stupid oh, ass ships my God, and his, stuff. Him and his fucking boats. I literally have a note. God, Mister Potter is the biggest ass. But I thought, God, he's oh, I cannot stand him. I thought it was really interesting. I think Alan Moore gives us a little wink as to what he's <clears> going for. In the last two panels of this issue, yeah, I have questions. Yeah, but we can um, get to that when we, we get go. to it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, right up. Basically, the through line is we're reading this letter, and the letter is very terribly inane. Mm-hmm. But the artwork is the juxtaposition is fantastic. Essentially, we follow. It's it's. It, uh, Sometimes it's making jokes. Sometimes it's contrasting what's happening in the letter. I wrote down. It's just, it's very playful. I wrote down numerous times and the double entendres continue to roll. Like uh, numerous times though. I thought it was interesting because it's, it is funny when you first read it, but then there's something deeper going on because what he's talking about is the, uh, the, the, there's like a stream. There's like five panels in a row that are all visual puns. Or double entendres mm-hmm. with like a visual punchline, mm-hmm. but those per- that particular section he's talking about war. So right. the language of war is what we're reading, and then we're looking at the the imagery, and the imagery is just this astoundingly sexual Sex. and particularly yeah. fetishy in that moment. Yeah, I would say it's appropriate language for sex. I thought it was, in, yeah, I think it's interesting. We always, the, you know, that's how yeah. kind of how we uh, phrase things. It's like. Um, like a conquest, you know? Yeah. Well, from the male, uh, specifically from the male perspective, and I thought it was really interesting that he juxtaposed the two. So he's... He being Alan Moore. Alan Moore, yeah, mm-hmm. the writer. Um, that he gave us this this language of conquest, conquest and war and stricture and structure. And mm-hmm. um, he talks, I mean, he's talking about like, oh, you know, nose to the old grindstone. You've got to work your way up through the ranks. But what we're seeing on the other hand is like the, the extremity of like bohemian hedonism. Right. And I thought it was interesting that those two were are melded together and so mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. in this. Um, Honestly, are you surprised? Because Alan Moore's a fucking genius? Yeah. No, not at all. Okay. Um, I'm really glad that we are back to this. Rather than kind of like doing the backstory thing that we have been doing previously. I'm, how do you mean? Oh, we're, we're now like just doing the whole like romp with them sort of thing. Like the... Staying in the... Uh, we're getting some presents. Right. I mean, I, I, I've been reading ahead a little bit. So what he seems to do is 
the girls tell stories about their sexual pasts, and then we get some new mm. stories. It's like uh, X Files. You have your you have your monster of the week episodes, yeah, and then you have your like universe building conspiracy mm-hmm. episodes. Well, this is like these are like fun chapters that we're back to at past the uh, the kind of heavier stuff that was a couple of chapters ago. Well, I we're not quite there yet, but I would argue that chapter twelve has some stuff in it that's a bit heavy and tr- tricky to deal with. Mm. Um, yeah. But in fiction, I don't. Well, we'll talk about it when we get we'll to talk, chapter twelve. Yeah. So right off the bat, in this issue, I think this is the first overtly male gay sex we've seen. Right? We've seen tons of lesbian stuff. All yes. we've seen is lesbian stuff, except for uh, Mister Shoe Fetish Guy, who will pop <laughs> up in a little bit. Oh, but God. this is yeah, like right off the bat, we see the proprietor of the Himmelgarten um, doing like um, kind of interesting paintings. Of of two men, expressionist who, painting, abstract, yeah, right. Which will come back at the end of the episode or at the end of the issue. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you about that since we're talking about it. Do you think that he has made some of the smut that I think he makes is, all of the? Oh, smut. you think all of it is his? Yeah, oh, and that's why okay. he peppers it around the rooms. Mm, is it's his? And he's gotcha, ex- <laughs> gotcha. It's okay. a weird sort of like hidden um, um, exhibitionism. In a weird way, because he uses, uh, we find out again, issue twelve or jumping ahead, but we find out that there are like purported Beardsleys and Mukas and yes, and Fair, Lady yep. Fairchild points out that they're probably all fakes mm-hmm. done in the style of right. So I think it's him that's doing it. Ah, um, but anyway, so we start with basically uh, the, the it's an interesting through line because it shows. Like this, I wrote it down somewhere. We've got our first um, digital stuff here too. It's the color. Yeah, the, the first the colored uh, light. Yeah, the like. Yeah. Stroby. Well, I don't know. The color on his chest in panel three looks. You, I think I feel like you can see brushes in it. No. I think it's laid over the artwork, and the um, scratchiness you're seeing is the um, the artwork itself. The artwork underneath. Interesting. Yeah, the coloring of the skin. Um, well, what I, I think it's interesting that it w- this issue is th- like a, a f- the flow of sex through the hotel. Oh my god, everybody's fucking everybody. I love it. Well, and it's it's like one of it's it's almost like a, a Tarantino follow shot. Oh yeah, where yeah. you you like start with two people doing something and then one walks mm-hmm. away, so you follow them, and right. then that person has another interaction, and those you two follow- people. You the other person, the new person, least, yeah. right, right, right. It's yeah. like a long Tarantino follow shot, it's exactly like that. Except you're switching your subject each time mm-hmm. they encounter each other. And it, I have a note on it somewhere, but um, oh, here it is. I said what work. What I one of the things I love about this issue is the flow of sexual energy. It's like observing the sexual biome of the hotel. Biome. Yeah, it kind of felt like weirdly like uh, an episode of. You know, like Planet Earth or something, where they're like, <laughs> you know, we start with like the spider, the where natural it's like, habitat, and the, here we see the spider. Yeah, exactly. It's like here we see the spider building its nest, and a bird comes by and eats the spider, right? And now we watch the bird, and mm-hmm. then we're like, but the bird's habitat is threatened by a bigger predator, and then the tree gets cut down or whatever, you know, like. But mm-hmm. we bump from thing to thing, and over <laughs> top of it all is this. Now, I wanted to ask you: Do you think? Because, again, he's such a piece of shit. But, like, Mr. Potter is writing... What he writes is basically, like, 
I can't imagine what these what this service staff is doing all day. They're just <laughs> they're, yeah, they're all rumpled, and it takes forever for them to get tea here. And he criticizes Mrs. Fairchild. He calls mm-hmm. her. But I'm wondering, how do you think that this is that like? Uh, j- don't look at it. Pretend it's not happening, sort of thing. Like how oblivious? Nah. Really? Yeah. How oblivious is he really? Because he knows without a shadow of a doubt that Lady Fairchild and Dorothy had opiate-laced lesbian sex right next door to him. He mu- and he's reading porn that's been left by the proprietor every day. Do you think that this is him like f- fabricating his own reality, refusing to look at what's happening? Like he, part of him. Why knows, would he though? I don't know, but I, again, in particular, the Potter's through line, the part of the Potter's character, mm-hmm. is that like on the surface we're buttoned to the neck. Oh yes, jolly good old thing. Mm-hmm. But they're shadows, fuck. And in this, we see him fantasize weird, like violent sexual. Mm-hmm. This issue, this one right here. Yeah. He fantasizes like weird devil sex in his wife. Devil and, sex. And like women who aren't his wife tied mm-hmm. up, and then mm-hmm. he masturbates to gay porn at the end of this issue. And the artwork in the book he's reading mm-hmm. blends into reality where the you know there's a bent over figure and his wife completes it in the real world. Mm-hmm. Are we really meant to exp- to to believe that Mr. Potter has no inkling whatsoever that everyone in this hotel is fucking everybody else all the time? And no, I don't think that's it. I think he's you know how Mrs. Potter sort of like demurs all the time where she's like, oh, no, I, I couldn't. I shan't. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of thing. And it's like totally an act. Well, issue 12. We're going right. to we're going to explore this in depth in issue 12 where she's like, well, no, I couldn't. I would never. But then uh, she gives way I'm to like. Prude. But we find out again and again that she's not. Right. You know, like she's in some ways, if you want to use like the, she's a bit of a freak. If you want to say that she's probably gone like. Sexually speaking, of what we've read in the book so far, she's probably on the most extreme end of the spectrum. So she's hmm. like the the furthest cosmonaut of sexuality or whatever. Why? But why would he write this back to his friend? Why wouldn't he be like, dude, everybody's fucking everybody. You should get your ass over here with that, your wife so we can do a wife swap and that's blah, blah, blah. Out of why? character for him. That's out of character for him. I'm just I'm trying to determine what's going on underneath because his character to me is all about appearance and veneer. Like what is he? Mm-hmm. He always talks about battleships. That's all he talks about is like, oh, yes, battleships, battleships here. This <laughs> this particular grade of steel. But yeah. what I like about what I like about this and what I think is interesting about this is what if he's you think they would know when they like decided where to go and like made their reservation they would know what kind of place this was you would think well he's he's not a huge fan of it he i mean right he's saying he's not let me skip right to the end because i think we're playing along in your i think our discussion will be will benefit from the last two panels this is directly from mr potter's letter he says um Everything's as decorate. Everything's so decorated. It's like living inside a painting or an illustrated tale for children. One of those tales where everything coils around in circles, where things happen under the surface. Ah well, home in a couple of months. Suppose I'd better bring this to a conclusion. Which is funny because he's masturbating as he writes that. But um, 
I think that's you mean during that panel during that actually, during yeah. that panel yeah he's not writing his friend and jerking off I think in a weird way that's the premise mm-hmm. which is like well we'll keep everything cheerful and business like on the surface and we'll just ignore anything that makes us uncomfortable that sort of thing like one of the things I thought was really interesting about his letter is uh, the collecting tadpoles line I think it's panel page two yeah page two panel four is that where we are one, two, three, four. So right here, he goes, yeah. you know, when I was, he's talking about the staff, which mm-hmm. is interesting because, okay, so the the two male models that the owner of, the, the proprietor of the Himmelgarten is painting, they jack each other off and he gets really pissed and he's like, you've ruined my painting and he kicks one, the bellboy out. So the bellboy goes and finds a maid and the maid is like, hey, look, and she, the literally the bellboy walks in and she pulls her skirts up and they start fucking. She's like, mm-hmm. you, want, you want some of this? So the bellboy fucks the maid. The maid sees that she's running late and she leaves. And then the next panel is the maid and Mrs. Fairchild fucking. The next thing that happens is the maid leaves and Mrs. Fairchild sees that Dorothy's looking through the keyhole. It's, it's literally everyone. I think that that was set up. The keyhole thing? Yeah, totally. I think so too, like a voyeurism sort mm-hmm. of thing. But anyway, when we go... So I just, go ahead. Lo- go ahead. I just love panels. Um, Page one, panel five through seven, mm-hmm. where they look all ashamed. Yeah, well, he's he's painting, and he no four through, whatever. Okay. So starting in panel four, um, he stops painting, and he's like, "What the fuck? You guys are making out or touching or whatever." And then right. you can see him in the background with his arms crossed, like. You fucking asshole! Stop doing what you're doing. But he doesn't like tell them to stop. Right. Exactly. Either. Well, this—that's. I think that's the sort of the whole part of point of this hotel is like a, right. That book and then finally they get each other off, and he's like, ah. Right. He's like furious. He's like, what have you done? You've both gotten each other off. Now my get painting out. is ruined. But in the letter, okay, back to page two, panel four. In the letter. He says, I cannot imagine what these young people, the the staff at the hotel, are getting up to every day. And he says, when I was their age, I'd be out doing something physical. The panel is them fucking each other. They're having sex. Doing something physical, like collecting tadpoles. Is that a sperm reference? That is exactly what she's doing right there. Like, that is totally a double entendre for sperm. Because what is a tad? We just saw a, a whole pond full of them. Like, <laughs> what do tadpoles look exactly like? <laughs> they look exactly like, like, they look like sperm. exactly like sperm. And we would see, they have known that back in whenever this is supposed to be set? I would say maybe not, but Alan Moore most definitely does. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because like we see that he got off in panel six. Mm-hmm. So in that panel, that's exactly what they're doing. They're doing something physical like collecting tadpoles in a weird metaphorical way. Um, I, I think... Now, this is what I thought was interesting. Because the idea of like romping around outside and collecting tadpoles uh, the train it's such a like wholesome <gasps> well it's 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 like you have you read dandelion wine by ray bradbury no okay so it's so nice it 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 strikes that chord of like childhood nostalgia mm-hmm. and yet the imagery is a hardcore illustration of like a Hot, like, that's that is probably the most pornographic thing that we've seen in the ish, in the comics so far. Maybe not. Maybe? It's it's fairly explicit though. A it's lot pretty of pretty explicit. Yeah. A lot of the artwork is sort of like erotica or like 
caricature type mm-hmm. sex, but that's just a fairly that one is a fairly hardcore illustration. So I think it's interesting because what we see in these two issues, particularly this one, is the weaving of innocence, not always nostalgia and childhood, but innocence mm-hmm. with images of of sex and mm-hmm. combining those two maturity he, quote unquote. yeah maybe but he, he in the end he even mentions when he says like i'm living in like this he we've seen him criticize art nouveau as being like fluffy and yeah meaningless. frivolous but in this one he says specifically like an illustration uh in a book meant for children mm-hmm. so it that as a reader for one second if you're reading this carefully or reading it deeply or like thinking about it Suddenly you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. A book, it, it rephrases it because these are fairy tale characters. The drawings are intentionally sort of simple. We're, we're not getting mm-hmm. like that, like Jim Lee level. Right. So right. it's like fairy tale illustrations in a fairy tale book dealing with children's, children's literature, like the characters from mm-hmm. stories we all heard as kids. And the whole book is about sex. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of chapters, we're going to hit it um, in the next chapter. We've already covered several chapters that have it. Not just sex, but extreme... Deviant sex. Sex on the edges or depravity or like full... The most extensive hedonism that you can imagine. So he's... Alan Moore is juxtaposing some very counterintuitive things mm-hmm. together in a strange way and it, it contrasting yeah it creates a really kind of surreal or not not discordant because it we, it goes together mm-hmm. it really does in a strange way um so my only other note for page two was look at that crazy wallpaper oh <laughs> how long do you think it took uh, melinda gebby to pull that off her background details are amazing I think this is another instance of um, digital art or collage collage. Yeah, I really what did you think of their uh, in panels six and nine? The uh, the blue dot surprise. Oh, eyes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're adorable. They're cute. Kind of like, weird. Yeah, it's like little, it's like um, it's like little, it reminds me of uh, the Tin Soldier for some reason. Oh, it reminded me of uh, like manga. That like, <laughs> Do we, like yeah, a little, the, the little, little surprise. They've got their little sweat drop on their head, and then their <laughs> eyes turn into ovals, and they're like, "What?" Yeah, I don't know. I was, I thought that that artwork was really cute, and it's interesting to see too because uh, it's almost like if you go to panel six, it's almost like a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, right? If you cover her up, right? Because <laughs> they weren't naked. Well, yeah, he's so he. It's such like a simple drawing, mm-hmm. and it's sort of quaint, you know, where he's like, "Oh, I'm so surprised." And well, then she's got circle eyes here too and I, I don't think she's surprised panel no i mean three. she's surprised in panel nine when oh, she yeah. sees the is it like surprise shock surprise though or is it like oh hey i think it's i mean she's blushing i think she's shocked by the sheer uh, garb of lady mm. fairchild but i mean this figure drawing first of all the figure drawing in panel six is amazing mm-hmm. but there's a f- there's Cum. There's a there's oh, a yeah. fair amount of cum in this fluids. Yeah, the, in this panel. So it's all of this story, particularly this issue, but this whole book exists on that weird razor's edge between like children's literature and fairy tales, and then like the confusing, occasionally murky, sometimes troubling waters of 
of sex and erotica and pornography and how the and the tensions and balances between those things. I don't know. This made me think a lot. Mostly, it's because we read two issues at a time. I'm retroactively looking at this issue through the lens of issue 12, which has Mm. more potentially troubling material in it. Nothing like what we've... Well, speaking of troubling, I actually want to talk to you about page three here. Okay. Where Mrs. Lady Fairchild um, comes out of the maid and then fucks her with... uh, Art Beautiful Nouveau, Art Nouveau dildo. Dildo? Uh, an Aubrey Beardsley dildo. It reminds me of um, porcelain, like fine china. That's what I think it is. Oh, yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah, like it's a cool thing to own. It's a beautiful, it's a it's a stunningly beautiful and ornate dildo with really interesting art on it. And she, yeah, she fucks the maid with this dildo. and So... Does the maid kind of know what she's in for with this woman? Like, do they have a history? Or did Lady Fairchild surprise her with this? And that's why she's getting tipped so well? Like, um, he mentions... (laughs) Oh, somewhat extravagantly extravagantly in my view. Is she tipping them, like, paying them for their services? Do do staff here know what they're getting into? Like, do they know that they're going to potentially be fucking staff? Or I I don't think... I think you're... I would... In my opinion, you're overthinking it. Like, are they prostitutes? Is this a den of prostitution? No, I don't mean necessarily like prostitutes, but like I don't eh, think that kind of loose. I don't think that the staff are like briefed. Like now at the Himmelgarten, you will occasionally probably be come on to by crazy older women who will fuck you. I I mean more like an unspoken thing. No, like everybody kind of knows that this is like a. No, I think the vibe for the vibe that well maybe I don't know. It's depend. It's. Who am I to say definitively? That's kind of how I feel. If that's how like, you read it, that's how it should be for you. Okay. My reading, personally, is that the Himmel Garden is a place of utter hedonism. We're going to... I have read it. I'm, I'm reading the book ahead. And we're going to see later that this is just... This, this hotel is a free-for-all. It's not... This is not part of their expected duties. This is just a place where no one is hindered by, like, the chains of morality or... Or body shame or embarrassment or, like, good breeding. Like, this is... But I feel like that is something that's, like, out in the open. That everybody knows that that is what happens here. So all the staff who decides to get a job here kind of knows, like, this is what it's about. I mean, if that's... Not like it's, like, on the down low and nobody really talks about it or knows about it. I don't know. That's, like, digging into the, like, the the practicalities of of the actual like rules of the universe like i don't know that to me would be akin to the question of like so do they have pension plans do they have retirement oh pl- i don't know that's just how i what i read okay it, whatever what i read it is is the maid got fucked silly by the bellboy and then she opened the door and lady fair there was lady fairchild in a sheer negligee and what she was absolutely not expecting that. That was not something that normally occurs ever. And Lady Fairchild seduced her because this particular hotel exists. Seduces her or rapes her then? Seduces her utterly. Like, she's clearly into this. This is this is obvious. There's no sign. She has, of, like, upset eyebrows here in panel three. No, I think that's... I would say that's an interpretation of the art because she seems surprised on page two and then she's sort of like it's one of those like oh inner conflict or arousal yeah i think it's more that like like one of those 
well, we'll talk about it explicitly in issue 12 in a, or in chapter 12 in a second. But I think it's like a, we have to remember that this is not, this isn't the real world. If a maid knocks on your door in a real hotel and you're like, Hey, look at this fine China dildo I've got. She's probably gonna be like, Whoa, like this doesn't happen in nine panels in the real world. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in the world of this, we just started listening to Snuff by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, and I think this is very much the that, that I, I would still call this erotica, but it's following porn rules. You make things so much less fun. How do you mean? What, why would... Wait, I, why is I, consensual I, sex less fun what? than rape? No, no. What are you talking about? You ta- You seem to be arguing on the side of like, everybody doesn't know that this is a sex hotel. <laughs> Basically, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, this is a sex world. All of the characters in this chapter who aren't the guy writing the letter, they they are all hedonists. That's what I'm arguing. I'm not saying that this isn't a sex hotel. I'm just saying it's more the people than the place. They are all sexually permissive people, and when sex presents itself, they just go along for the ride. And they would do that anywhere they were in the world. Like how Dorothy shows up and her first night in the hotel, you know, that guy's Rolf like, is like, hey, I want to jerk off to your shoes. Hey, can I jack you off onto <laughs> your shoes? And she's like, sure, as long as you eat my pussy while we're doing it. Like, <laughs> I think it's the people that we're looking at rather than like, this is a weird, like secret sex hotel or like a brothel. I think it's just like, we're looking at bohemians. We're okay. looking at hedonists and they're like, oh yeah, when I see a little bit of action, I'm going to jump on the action train. All right, I have specific questions about page three. Okay. Is that an asshole? What? Yeah. Uh, panel four? I definitely, I think we see one in panel five too. You think this is I think, anal play? No, I think oh. she, I think what we're seeing in panel five is vaginal penetration, but I think that mm, that right above. A little dimness. Yes, there's a bit of dimness that I think is, it is a, a Melinda Gebby's illustration of an asshole. Yeah. Okay. Um, Panel uh, panel five was weirdly erotic for me, like very very sexy. This was this issue. I like girl and girl. It's my favorite. This issue all the way through. Is yeah, it was sexy, sexy as hell. Like as far as erotica goes, sometimes you read a chapter of this book and you're like, I mean, I feel aroused, but I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> like what in the hell? But this one, this one is like a feel good arousal. This is all the just way like a fun romp, yeah. Until the last page when you get gross. Lazy eye and tongue poking out. Oh, <laughs> and you're like, oh, yes, this, that panel just like Mr. Ugh. Potter, put your penis away. <laughs> mm, yeah, and um, my other question is, uh, what did you think of this? Where he's talking about how Lady Fairchild is super clean, fastidious. I was like, that's fucking weird. I have it's a weird observation. It made me kind of uncomfortable. I have a note specifically about this. Now, I think that. I think Alan Moore, I don't think anything Alan Moore writes is a throwaway. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything he's like, all right, pa- wrote that panel, panel's done. I think oh, yeah, no, everything is steeped in meaning. This sure. is one that I think, like, explodes off in multiple directions. One, <laughs> it's the language of war, baby. Um, first of all, the one of the cleanest women I've ever met, you know, well-scrubbed, cleanest woman, fastidious, right? Right, but she's... She's a freak. She's totally not 
like so one it's the dichotomy between him saying she's clean and us seeing on the page she's a dirty girl well exactly exactly (laughs) so there's that there's that first dichotomy that first balancing act of he says clean we see quote unquote dirty dirty right like she's up to naughtiness Mm -hmm. so that is a that's the visual pun because we see later we see that like you know like oh there's she's a you know, you can tell why she's no personality at all. She's a very boring girl. As she's had sex with two women in like 20 minutes. Right. So there's the dichotomy of like his reality versus the reality we're watching. But two, right. two, we also see that she's hairless. I noticed that too. But then I was confused when we turned to the next page um, I was yeah right there. Panel one, I was yeah, wondering I was like, if that I was sec. wondering if that was an error in the art <clears throat> or if it's very very short and we're only able to see it from an angle. I'm being generous there. I think it's probably an inconsistency in the art because she's <sighs> fairly clearly hairless on right, page yeah. three. So I thought that that was interesting. Cleanest woman I've ever something well scrubbed, fastidious, and what do we we specifically see that she has a that her that she's shaved her pubic area completely. Um, So in that case, so that was one thing that I thought. And then the the other thing that I thought was the fact that he perceives her as such Mm -hmm. like his, his, like he sees her as like very straight laced and very proper. Oh, she's just well scrubbed and Mm -hmm. the other, but, but in a, what do we see of his fantasies in the end is like women tied up women on all fours like dogs mm-hmm. in previous issues we've seen women being spanked and belted and whipped and, he yeah. has some fair he has some interesting and, and freaky yeah and obviously as we're talking about these things there's a huge spectrum of sexuality but he has some like some of his fantasies are, are sort of involving degradation uh yes so by saying like the hers don't though hers yeah hers don't well issue, well issue twelve that's true. anyway um take it back I think it's an, I think I think that Lady Fairchild is in my opinion the perfect hedonist I'll explain why when we get to twelve but I'm wondering if this is a subliminal or subconscious like Freudian insult as in Lady Fairchild is not desirable because. All of his fantasies have to do with the Madonna. It's called yeah. the Madonna whore complex, except mm-hmm. his are his is like pure whore. He wants right. utter utter degradation and like the he the literally envisions devil women with devil horns. Sometimes yes. he wants yes. that wicked. And I feel like that happened in the previous mm-hmm. fantasies as well. And he, has, he he envisions himself as a devil. He, well, in this one, he has like that sprightly beard and devil. Yeah, the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. pan or imp. Yeah. So his what we see in his head when we see his fantasies is that perfect, that like utterly degraded, like no whole, no limits, like a completely fallen. That's that's what his fantasies are about. So we he clearly has dislike for Alice is calling her he hits it three times well very well terribly well scrubbed cleanest woman i've ever met fastidious so three times he reinforces that she's clean almost as though he's disdainful of that cleanliness and he he's like i have no like it's an insult Mm -hmm. because there's no dirt about her 
no grime about her. Later, when we see him... Well, he's constantly insulting women and saying, like, they're boring. They have nothing going on in their heads. But I think this is a... Et cetera. I think this is a... He is. He's a a complete misogynist and a a total bastard. Such a chauvinist, yeah. But... I th- I, because I think there's some interest in Dorothy. Huh. He's dismissive and rude and shitty about her, where he insults her repeatedly. But right. you'll notice there's a different tone. With Lady Fairchild, it's well scrubbed, mm. cleanest. And but where he says about um, Dorothy, a terribly um, brash young American filly. Yes, who needs a decent young buck. See what I'm he saying? Wants to fuck her. Would yep. you see what I'm saying? But yep. also, country manners. If you get, if you know what I mean, right? Does country manners mean sex? No, he's just saying like, oh, she's, she's that. See what I'm saying? Here. She's rough around the edges. She's yes, not polished. But that, but that appeals to him because mm-hmm. he likes that sort of dirty or soiled woman, or that that sort of like wildness. That I mean, he imagines he imagines devils in pain. That's his fantasy. So when he says, like, Lady Fairchild's well-scrubbed clean, she probably spends half her life in the bathroom. Rightfully young. <laughs> but but with Dorothy, it's ill-bred, you know, country mm-hmm. manners. She's a bit... Di- you can practically hear him starting to, like, get flustered <laughs> as he writes. And again, he's being degrading to women, but part of his fantasy is degradation. That's true. True. So I, I I honestly think that this is one of the most fascinating issues we've read because you can see in the subtext or in like the 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 like subconscious drive behind this like inane letter, you can get little flashes of insight into Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter, I hate to say it because I don't he's know such if a I dick. feel like he's like consciously like that though. That, that's why I said subconsciously. I don't yeah. I think he genuinely believes that he's an upstanding button to the neck sort of mm. Oh, you haven't read issue 13. Yet. No, I haven't. Well, let me Don't tell spoil you, it for me. I won't, but 13 is going to show you a little bit about Mr. Potter. Oh, shoot. I've got a couple different things to say. Go ahead. I actually missed some um, notes on page three if you want to go back oh, really quick. Okay. Um, um, well, I have a... Um, oh, God, where is it? I think it's page one, actually. Uh, okay, I have ahead. a note about page one. Okay, so I think it's kind of nice, cute. I don't know how many times we get to see ball sack in like a uh, non-typical kind of I guess like unflattering positions mm. like in panel four where we see it from behind between his legs mm-hmm. I don't know it's just kind of cute and you don't really see it because like that cute. it's yeah I don't know it's okay um and then in where was it I don't know oh here, page five. Yeah, panel there's balls five. Again, yeah. Balls again. They're like Actually I We was, see them a lot. I was oh, throughout the whole book. Yeah. But Melinda Gebby does not shy away from anything. Um let me spoil it's way later in the book. You're we're not ever, we're not we're nowhere close okay. to it. It's gonna be episodes and episodes. But spoilers. At some point in this book, we're going to see Melinda Gebby's illustration of a horse cock. Oh my! There's horse penis drawn in this. She, I will say this: she is unflinching. Melinda mm-hmm. Gebby draws everything. I really appreciate that I do because too. I feel like most of the time too. when you see a penis, it's like idealized, just the shaft in the head. Like you don't see balls. It's or it's there's normally like a, fur covering things. Yeah. You know, it's just. 
And in a weird way, the shaft and balls thing, there's a preap I think um, it, even the dildo has balls. The dildo does have balls. But in issue, uh, like there's a there's a god called Priapus. He's, that's where it, we get the phallus from. He's constantly hard. He has a huge erection. But in, in a lot of... <laughs> In a lot of statues and images of that, there's a strange look of castration because you don't mm, see the testicles mm, rendered. Yeah, and in a lot, you a lot of art, yeah, keeps, sculpture, be, yeah, keeps the balls out of it, and there's a weird look to it because we all know what goes there, but it's not there. So mm-hmm. it's like that, like I said, it's that strange castrated feel to it where mm-hmm. it's. I don't know. There's probably like 500 papers written about this. <laughs> <laughs> you should go find some. Um, but no, I I wanted to say because you because you mentioned it on page five. It's even wrinkly. I and really, she shows foreskin too, and I does. like that. On panel five of page five, there's an image of Dorothy. Um, Dorothy and what's his name again? Rolf. Rolf. Yeah, Dorothy and Rolf are. 60- he makes me on a roll. <laughs> Dorothy and Rolf are 69ing, and it's an image of her going down on him and. It's really interesting because the the tendency is to make the drawing sexy, right? Like, let's... No, 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 no. I'm not saying her. I'm saying mm-hmm. in general. When you see pornographic drawings or hentai or mm-hmm. erotica or whatever, the, the, the first knee-jerk reaction is draw this as sexy as you can. That's why we have... By sexy, do you mean idealized? No, I mean porny. Like, that's why we have ferret spines and we have women with gigantic asses and their waists smaller than their wrists okay. in comics yeah melinda i'm i think melinda gabby draws things f- fairly as they are i would argue that this is still a very sexy drawing i agree but i also agree i also think that reality is sexy mm-hmm. if reality you know what i'm saying like i think that sex is sexy i think that real live naked women who there is no perfect human being on the planet. I think real, live, naked women are sexy. I think that... Yeah, I think what you mean is idealized, like polished. Yes, but exaggerated too. Yeah. It's like, for example, Rolf's penis is fairly average sized. Mm-hmm. Like when we come in and he's jerking off, I would say, like just guessing based on hand size, I'd say Rolf is probably like six inches long. Mm-hmm. But I, th- what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. normally when you see... Like when you see hentai, they have sixteen like inch, huge. sixteen yeah. inch dicks is bigger on just baseball bats, mm-hmm. and the women are have so little body fat that they couldn't possibly survive in reality. Right? You Maybe know, like sleeping all the time or something. Right. Triple D breasts, the largest ass you've ever seen, and no waist <sighs> to speak of. Fucking. <laughs> I know. I saw that. I love doing this podcast because when I drink, you get drunk. <laughs> Bird just spilled her tea on her notebook, but no, there, you know what I'm saying. There's that the, they call it, you know, they call it the beauty standard. Call it what you will, mm-hmm. but there's that thing where every woman is perfect. No women have any legitimate curves or even realistic, close to realistic body types. All men are 12 inches and above. You know, nobody has body hair. Everybody is like perfectly fit, right? And what, yeah. again and again, we see body hair. We see, uh, I love how curvaceous the women in here are mm-hmm. because not every, it's, it's not like Melinda Gebby was like, I'm oh God. Yeah. Like, um, 
page six. We'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Melinda Gabby didn't go like, I'm only going to draw plus size bodies. She draws a range of human bodies in men and women. Mm -hmm. Some people have body hair. Some people don't. Just like people, it seems like Alan Moore and Melinda Gabby are keeping track of people's sexual proclivities. Not everybody's like, you know, like, hey, I come to deliver you the sausage. Oh, fuck my ass. You know, like, we haven't run into that. It's like, pinch my nipple because I'm into that. Or like... You know, like, oh, I... I like feet and shoes. <laughs> I, and, and in a weird way, how those proclivities can be transmitted. Because Rolf is into feet. Rolf is worshipping, like, fascinated by worshipping Dorothy's feet. And jump back an issue, Dorothy sucks on Wendy's... Mm, her toes. toes. Yeah. She's trying it out. She's right. like, you know, I wonder what Rolf sees in this. Let me give it a whirl. Mm-hmm. It's... These are all real people. That's what I love about this because this image in particular struck me. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's sexy. It's rendered much more realistically as well in this style than the previous. Yeah. Page five, panel five. It's like dead center in the page. Dorothy's eyes are squinting. You know, she's not looking quite directly on the camera. Her breasts are sort of squashed up, not in what I would call like a lascivious way, but how it would be if your breasts were pressed against someone's thighs. You know, we see balls. We see... Hairless. That's true. We see, yeah, we see Rolf's balls. We see drool. Like, Melinda Gebby... And a little suction in her cheeks. Right. Melinda Gebby's not drawing us like, oh, this is what a blowjob looks like. She's drawing like... <laughs> hey, a blowjob. You guys know what a blowjob looks like? It looks exactly like this. And even though it's... Not because... not Not even though. I shouldn't say even though it's realistic, it's sexy. I should say... Melinda Gebby shows us that reality is sexy. And I like that she even draws tight balls there. And he gets off two panels later. It's just like she knows what she's doing. Right. There's so much thought went into this. Mm -hmm. This is not just this is not just funny books. This is okay. uh, How many meetings do you think there were where Alan Moore was like? Can you imagine the discussions? Melinda. He has a super deep voice. Have you ever heard Alan Moore talk? Right, Melinda. So when Rolf is going to come on page four of chapter 11, we got to make sure his balls are nice and tight. Nice and tight. You know, and she's like, oh, Alan, I'm way ahead of you, darling. <laughs> nice and tight. They look like brains. You're going to love it. It's so realistic. Um, I want to have a bit of a bigger discussion. But we do you want to get through the issue and then touch on it before we get to chapter 12? Because chapter 12 is going to be a... Not as not not as k n o t t y naughty as some of the issues we've had before, but I do, there's a there's something about Alan Moore's writing that I'm starting to pick up on, and I want to talk about it in between issues. But let's keep trucking okay. for now. So can we talk about the things that are happening in these panels? Little things that we picked up on or whatever. Yeah, sure. I noticed the one of the big things I noticed here was Gail. Yeah, we'll talk about that mm-hmm. in a second. Um. Dorothy's last name is Gale. Nah. Storm Gale. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Alice's last name is Fairchild, and her story is about a rich blonde child. I, I'm <laughs> I'm wondering if all their last names have something to do. I can't figure Potter? out. I can't figure out Potter. I don't know what that is. But come on, Gale. That's pretty funny. Gale yeah. has to be intentional. Um. So since we talked about this, I have one more note for page five, and then I mm-hmm. will jump back. Um. The the sort of chap who pays attention to clothing, because again, hmm. 
Potter is noticing people's sexual proclivities and mm-hmm. fetishes, but he's couching it in just like it's very commendable that he's a fashion-minded gentleman. Right. But he, what he's doing is he's noticing Rolf's shoe fetish. Oh, is that what it was? Pays attention to clothing. We see oh. he's the sort of chap who pays attention to clothing. Very. I thought it meant like he's well dressed and maybe on the edge of foppish. And like he's like, are you a secret bi as well? Look at the page. Mm-hmm. Pays attention to clothing, and the image is Rolf holding one of Dorothy's shoes. So that's what it is. You know, like maybe it's because he pays attention to what he wears, but I'm wondering if it's because he has noticed Rolf saying like, "Oh, wonderful shoes, Dorothy. They go greatly mm. with your blah blah," or Miss Gale, they go wonderfully with your blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, other double entendres from page five, and then I swear we'll just do the art. Um, I loved what? This oh, one? well, there's all of these. Oh my like, God. Starting yeah. from the top of the page. It's crazy. Every single panel, <laughs> Alan Moore manages to get a, a double entendre and starting, I mean, pretty much it's the whole page, but the great ones are panels four through the end. Um, he's talking about how, why not Alan Moore, but, uh, the Mr. Potter is talking about why he wouldn't, doesn't envy Rolf his military oh, life. Yeah. And he says, I, you know, like, um, even this one, the boots, boots, boots oh, one. Let me read it. He says, um, he says, I can't say envy him. Not one bit. Military life has so many drawbacks. Now, literally, as he says, drawbacks, uh, Dorothy is leaning back into Rolf's penis as they're about to have sex or no, about to 69. So panel four, he goes and drawing up her skirt, having to start at the bottom. And it's a picture of Rolf with Dorothy's ass in his face. And so we have a bottom. Mm -hmm. Then we cut to Dorothy going down on Rolf. All that spit and polish (laughs) is the caption there. And then I tell you, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes, which his shoe fetish. It's amazing. And then the uh, panel seven. I mean, the international situation being what it is, things could blow up in our face at any moment. And that is Rolf coming on Dorothy's face. Yeah. It's Alan Moore. What Alan Moore manages to do with. Oh, this is what I wanted to say. I read a book four years ago called Alan Moore's Guide to Writing Comics. Mm-hmm. We bought it at. Um, what's the. It, I think I've read that too, actually. I think you have. Yeah. It's Top Comics. Is that the place down here? Yeah. Yeah. So we bought it at Top Comics in Traverse City. And there's a section in there where he talks about transitions, how to write transitions. And he stole it from the British television shows that he grew up watching, which is you if you're writing like, uh, you know, well, we don't have hurry, hurry, John, we don't have very much time. Mm-hmm. That's a caption. And to transition, you show a clock and then, you know, it's the clock in a drawing room pan out. You're in the drawing room and it's two new characters and you're mm-hmm. in a new scene. You use like. You know, like uh, loaded words or imagery to transition you. Well, yeah, the idea is like, you know, it's two people running down the street and like we're running out of time. How do you get to the next scene? You use we're running out of time as a caption and then show a clock or show someone else somewhere else in the world looking at their watch. And now you're in a new scene. But your text and your image which are in two different places come together and it splices your panels together. In a weird way, what he's doing is sustaining that transition for an entire issue of a comic. Mm -hmm. It's panels that are not talking at all 
about what we're seeing and yet have everything to do with them. It's him sustaining that that transition that he wrote about in the 90s for eight full pages. It's I thought that was amazing, especially because that book is was one of the big uh, it, it's it was it changed the way that I wrote. It's an amazing book. Sorry, so you wanted to talk about specific art stuff. I'm assuming particularly page 4 panel 5 Squirt or squirting urine? is that what you think that's what i think okay that's what i think too i was curious because of the country manners thing i was wondering if that oh. was i don't know i'm not sure um we did determine according to savage what was it the on, on the savage love dan savage's mm-hmm. podcast they did a laboratory test on squirt and determined that it is not it's not urine, urine. so yeah. female ejaculate is not urine it's a separate thing which is interesting and yeah it was cool to see mm-hmm. yeah again she doesn't shy away from stuff <laughs> yeah. and this is the first time we've seen it too we haven't seen it previously Mm-mm. so this is a new thing right yeah she she hasn't done we've seen her in a couple of sexual encounters but we've never seen that in particular um yeah so i'm it, what else did you have for like specifically not for, for that page i think we already talked about everything that i had for this page okay i i really oh, I really liked sorry page five panel seven I really mm-hmm. liked the way that her breast is pressed forward right it's got weight yeah, yeah. She, uh, Melinda Gabby's really yeah, really she's good with anatomy. understands body mechanics she, yeah and yeah so moving on to page what are we on now six yep I actually have no notes for page six at okay all. I have um things to say about this okay so we were talking about different body types yes. earlier. And I love that um, Wendy. Yes. Wendy is a little thicker. You know, like she's got big boobs and she's got a little bit of a tummy. And I love that when she sits down, Melinda Gebby draws the roll there where your ribs, the bottom sort of, of your meet ribs your meet your, your little tummy chub. Yeah. You know, I just, I love that she does that. Mm-hmm. And she's not like, slimming them up or idealizing them or whatever right, yeah um it, and she's not drawing women with curves who don't have roles like because the two don't actually exist opposite and w- without each other you know what i'm saying like no. how they airbrush women in ads oh. who are like curvy yeah but they, they airbrush them and put a ton of makeup on them right. they fix them in photoshop or they actually pad them i just learned this i didn't know this they will actually pad um to f- plus size models to make them curvier mm-hmm. but more like quote unquote appealing so they don't have like rolls so, so they, they just look I, it's just a thick sleek it's, a, it's yeah. a it's a thick look without the contours where where roll, where fat roll rolls would be. be yeah interesting i did not know that i know so i love that she is like yep this is real this yeah, is what a real a, woman looks it's, like she's a real body type mm-hmm. um, and i did have a question about this do you think that wendy knew that Rolf was also there, or do you think she's just like doing her normal like scrub up thing? I think it, I think this goes back to the Potters as a couple, and that thing that we've seen the Potters do again and again, which is where the Potters are they on the surface they're prim and proper, but they have well will we get we'll get to it in chapter twelve where it's uh, Dorothy not Dorothy um, Alice points it right out where she's like you are sitting there like about to explode from sexual frustration and you're gonna play demure with me now and Mm -hmm. she doesn't have any of it Mm -hmm. 
But I think that is their defining character trait as a couple, which is they are they're about to blow from the sexual pressures at at work in them. They sneak away. They live together in this hotel room mm-hmm. and they separately sneak we've seen both of them do it now <laughs> they sneak away to the bathroom and run the water to masturbate while trying to desperately to hide the fact that they're sexual beings from their right. from their husband and wife from their you know partner ostensibly yeah. their sexual partner yeah mm-hmm. so i think that me personally the way i read this is she is be- she's being an exhibitionist uh, she's like mm-hmm. oh no one's watching me and maybe she can lie to herself and say that but there's no way she doesn't know like I would say, Rolf is pr- like in. He seems quite close. In panel in his, seven, yeah. he's pretty much right out in the open. In panel eight, after he's come and like the, she's, he is visible. There's no way she misses him. She's she's not. She's doing that capital N, capital L, not looking thing, mm. where she's like, oh well, I just took a bath naked, and it's like, oh. I just need to soap these breasts like that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was kind of wondering, like, because in panel five, she's doing the boob grab thing. And and this I don't do that when I wash my boobs. And look I, at if she's look, she's washing with her legs as spread as can be and then bends over presenting a perfect. That's know, true. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like true. this is this is not bathing. This is a show. I think is what we're watching here. But she isn't ready to like consciously do that. Well, so she's like, I'm not looking. I'm here by myself. You're doing your own thing. I think that she, like all human beings, wants to feel wanted, wants Mm -hmm. to feel desirable. She wants to be like, you know, like people are sexually attracted to me. People sexually want me. But we, as we find out in chapter 12, she's like, you know, like, we may only be from this, but thank God we're above such depredations. <laughs> Whereas where sex is a depredation, right. she is she is of the Victorian mindset. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the quote unquote Victorian mindset where where sex is just like like it's an, a dirty. It's an thing indecency that you, just... that you have to like, just like think of the queen, think of the queen, you know, like do it for England, that <laughs> right. sort of thing. Right. But that's not how humans work. Right. You know what I mean? Humans are humans are sexual creatures. So I think that she's in that state of conflict here where she's like, well, I'm a good girl. I'm only bathing with mm-hmm. my legs far apart in case anyone's watching and getting themselves off, dirty, naughty boy. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then she leaves and feels mm-hmm. wanted because perhaps somebody enjoyed mm-hmm. what they saw. Mm-hmm. And gotcha. if they did, it's no fault of hers. I think right. it's okay. that sort of thing, yeah. Um. And then we get a really interesting page. Page seven. Do you... <laughs> re- what? I just realized that in... Um, on page six mm-hmm. in panels... Four. Four and six. Uh-huh. There's a design on the wall which acts perfectly as, like, to direct you to... The what image of her bathing. Yeah, yeah, it's she, Melinda Gebby clearly was like, I want your eyes over here. It, she was directing you through the artwork. Right. Mm-hmm. It's always so interesting to me when you point stuff like that to me out because she does it above too. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. The design points to the tip of Rolf's penis and then on the next page or on yeah, the next panel in towards panel her three, breasts. towards her yeah. breasts. So the, the arrows formed by the green patterns point to the sexual image. That's really interesting. Um, so in on page seven, 
my first question and I wanted to ask ask you is do you think that Mr. Potter is being written as a porn addict? Oh, uh hmm. Mm, He's I don't constant, think so. He since he discovered those little white books, mm-hmm. anytime we see him in their apartment, he's reading them. He's constantly reading those books. The other thing is... And maybe that's why they don't have sex? Maybe. The and other, maybe why he has like, extreme fantasies? That was... Maybe. That was the other thing I wanted to point to, which is you know, there's that... Uh, you know, we've learned... From the studies on that have come since the wide availability of porn, that mm-hmm. one of the ways that porn negatively impacts, can negatively impact people's sex lives, mm-hmm. is that it creates unrealistic oh, sure. expectations. Where, where basically, if you just watch porn of people in dungeons, you know, if you all you watch is gangbang porn, when your girlfriend is like, "Hey, how's it going? Do you want to ha- do you want to make love?" You're like. Yeah, let me just call up six other guys. You know, it it, it, it turns <laughs> right. It starts to turn sex into something else. Especially, you know, like if you're watching, if you only watch BDSM porn, where it's the most extreme, like that, and it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's the nice. That's the in, well. That's what interests me about BDSM as a concept. Is it's fantasy? That's one of the things that interests me about the Marquis de Sade's novels. Is they're the most extreme form of sexual mm-hmm. fantasy. Mm-hmm. A lot of his books end in murder. Right. Sex acts end in death. Like, I, I, so that's that's interesting. But if you were, if that became your sexual reality, where all you did all day long was read, you know, uh, 120 Days of Sodom or, you know, Justine, or all you watched was the most brutal, like, you know, face slapping and calling women slut or whatever, and, and that, like, violent... I don't feel like that's the kind of porn that they have, though. No, but what I'm saying... I'm saying in the real world, if you have... If that is your steady diet, when it comes to, like... Real life is just not enough. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And that's... We're on the same page. So what... And But what he's seeing, like, I think it's interesting, a lot of what he's reading in this issue is gay porn. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he jerks off to it. So I like. Yes, he does. But we've definitely seen him have straight fantasies previously. And what he's having in this issue is straight fantasies as well. He, we see three fantasies on this well, page, yeah, and those are all I women. Guess so. Mm. But he gets off to gay porn. That is true. But another thing I think is interesting. So, wait, go back. Uh-huh. Really quick. What I think is interesting is in panel four, his fantasy version of himself has no erection. And in panel eight, his fantasy version is not interacting with the devil woman, but is masturbating. Hmm. It's that. Uh, but like he's basically got his face in his ass eating ass in panel six. I, I read that as more like the lascivious gaze. But yeah, that is interesting. Uh, um, yeah. So I don't know, like we see panel four, he fantasizes bondage. Panel six, he fantasizes like, you know, girl on all fours presenting her ass to him. And she looks like wild, like animalistic. Yeah. Right. So which is fun because his fantasies show, like I said before, that extreme, like Mm -hmm. like she like a a wild woman of the woods who has does not know language only yeah, like knows woman sex, or right? Yeah. And then we see literally like the devil <laughs> in panel yeah. eight. But when we see him in the real world, button to the neck, always wearing a tie, only talks about battleships. 
you know that 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 dichotomy i think is really really fascinating you don't think he has a boner in page or in panel four i think he that boner is downward if he's having if he's got a boner Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. maybe it's working its way up it's a semi that it could be a semi as a male I will say that that is that particular crookedy. that particular crookedy <laughs> penis is outside my realm of experience. So I'm I even as a guy, I'm not qualified necessarily to say what we're seeing there. It's weird looking though, for sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, this the, this is also the page where he says women don't get on with books. Oh my god. Uh, which, no, I want to kill him. I just hate him. I know so much. he is fucking awful. Well, uh, we run into that earlier where Dorothy says something like, "Like, well, I could never read a book. I, you, you're a lady." And uh, Lady Fairchild says, uh, "Titles are for titles are for books, not for people, or something mm, like that." Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. because because Dorothy says she does, like doesn't know how to read or is not a strong reader or something like that. And uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and Alice is like, um, "Well, that's we got to fix that." So we talked before about the um, the shadows, the shadow play, and that sort of thing. I think we're still seeing that, but in a um, Jungian anima animus um, shadow kind of way. Um, in how? How do you mean? So like this is reality, and this is what the shadow self might be doing or might be wanting. <laughs> Interesting. Same thing. So same thing. We I think we see a continuation of the shadow theme that we've yeah. seen previously in on page seven, panel two, because he's looking at erotica and basically like I, I mentioned it before, the, yeah. right? In reality completes the fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's interesting. Like in, in the past, we've seen their literal silhouettes on the walls forming sexual situations. In this case, it's almost no. It, it's it is, all. It is literally like seeing into his mind. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you? What will, do you think of the crazy um, colors and stuff that's happening here? It's like psychedelic. What I thought was most interesting is that I'm fair. Also, the women don't have irises for some reason. What I thought was interesting is I think that. I'm not positive, but it, to me, the women that he's imagining don't look like his wife. I don't think so either. I think he's imagining other women or like imaginary women, mm-hmm. like not his wife. They also get less real with each fantasy. Oh, yeah. Less real and more extreme. You're totally right. Yeah. Right. As they go. It's it's that the nature of fantasy thing. Uh, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but that ramping up of fantasies mm, and then ramping up mm-hmm. of like what you want to do or what you'll agree to do and then the moment that you climax you're like oh god what did i do why did i do that no let's forget this immediately you know it's that ingrained sexual shame that i think is probably just a holdover of religion but mm. that's a whole other conversation uh, what do we have to say about page eight his eye his lazy oh eye and god, his tongue sticking out is disgusting <laughs> <laughs> panel six is the grossest uh, thing I've ever seen so in this like, book so far. Panel six is like it's uh, horrible. If Sean Connery was like having a heart attack or something, yeah, it's upsetting. It's, like I want this to be really attractive because I think that Sean Connery is really attractive. It's not, but though. it's not attractive. It's like it's the upsetting. It's, it's like the it's like Melinda Gabby trying to capture the three seconds after Sean Connery dies. Oh, it's horrible. It's really upsetting. Don't looking. say that. I know. Knock on wood. Um. Yes, I mean, the only thing of note on this page to me, other than the fact that I think the writing is very clever, and I think that the writing hints at potentially 
either bisexuality or homosexuality. I was wondering if if he's gay, that totally explains why he doesn't fuck his wife. Well, he he's he is. But he still fantasizes about women. Maybe. Well, he he puts down women. Very chauvinistic. He's he's the only way that he speaks about women is. He called her old girl in this in this issue again. I'm so mad about it. Is to their detriment, but Ugh. I think it's interesting that he speaks about men specifically for the first time here, where he says, "I think our imaginations develop more. It's men need to get away together." Mm-hmm. To there's a I think it's the top panel where he says like sometimes we need to get away and spend a little time with other men, you know, to sort of get our. Unless I'm misremembering Yeah you're misremembering It's um, that they need to be by themselves Away from their wives Mm. He says Chaps need to be in their Oh yeah I guess In their own company Now I thought that that maybe was double meaning Oh sure That's that's how I was reading it Like Birds uh, of a feather sort of thing Right chaps need to be in their own company Like as in the company of other other, other chaps, yeah. So I was wondering if this is again more Freudian Maybe. Freudian type stuff. He does have a Sigmund Freud beard going on. <laughs> anyway, that's all I had for chapter eleven. Uh, all right. Uh, what? It, first of all, the two questions that we haven't been asking consistently consistently is one: Did you like it? Yeah, I liked this issue a lot. Yeah, two. It was fun. Did it turn you on? Yes. Yes, it did. (laughs) Successful erotica. Well done, Alan Moore. All right. The next chapter is chapter 12, Shaking and Waking, which to (laughs) me is very fitting. Shake and bake. Wake and bake. Shake and bake. (laughs) Shake and bake. Baking pancakes. Making bacon pancakes. Sorry. Oh, my God. All right. So do you, I know, I know (sighs) my first question is, I know Beardsley and Mooka. I'm very I'm familiar with their works, mm-hmm. Aubrey Beardsley and Alphonse Mucha. I know their work. I love their work. Who are uh, Apollinaire and Colette? Do you know? I don't Is know. Is this other art? We will have to people? look it up. Where um, think, where do we see that? Oh, right here. Yeah, panel two. I um, verses by Apollinaire. So that's a writer, but Colette. Is an illustrator, and is. neither do I. And you're fairly well versed in Art Nouveau. That's your it's your All favorite. All right, so I have movement. a note here for Colette and um, Apollinaire. I have a note as well. Okay, so, we can so we'll yeah we'll yeah. bring it up um, next episode. And- so the, the basic premise of this issue is uh, <laughs> Wendy comes over for tea with Alice, and they have a bit of a mad tea party, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now, of course, there is a conceit to almost every issue, and this is no exception. In this conceit, on pan- in the first page, we see that Wendy is reading a book at tea, and she's reading a book about the seven Women deadly- don't read books. I forgot. Women don't <laughs> do well with books or whatever, right. unless it's improving literature. Uh, Im- what is it called? Oh, improving, improving literature yeah. with no pictures. Very, very dull. No very pictures, <laughs> nor conversations, which is directly from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. But, um... Oh. So she's reading, and it's a, a white book. I yes, so it's erotica. Mm-hmm. But what she is reading is uh, an account of basically a, a, an erotic account of the seven deadly sins, which we see. Oh, I know. The, yeah, I, I was saying that that is the conceit of mm-hmm. the issue, which right. you know we have mirror the mirror conceit. We have the you know we've we've actually done a similar conceit uh, before. There's another. Yes, there's with another the. 
where yeah, where we saw the <sighs> the the ovals with the girls getting dressed for the party. That we've one, seen, yeah, that. But I was also thinking of the black and white erotica with the regular art underneath, where it was erotica on the left hand page and regular art on the right. I think it's in the, one of the very early. You chapters. know, I. What? I just have to say, I love um, the panel styles and the way that they're set up. I just love that it's a consistent um, panel layout. For I think for the most part, I don't, I don't know think if I've it's seen much. changed. I've seen um, there are a couple first pages that have variations and a couple last pages, but the brunt right. of these issues are. But it's not like um, traditional comics where it's a variety of panels per page and that changes. Well, and it's this is the exact same panel layout for eight pages because each issue is eight pages long, right. uh, which I think is in keeping with the the erotica of that they are homaging mm-hmm. because the, with the white books you get the sense that um you know that the, that uh, like it's almost like mini comics mm-hmm. you know like you'd get an you'd find the eight page erotic mm-hmm. mini comic or whatever i just love how it breaks the page down and how it affects the pacing in a really great way and i just it's very well Alan Moore. it's and also Melinda Gebby, but it's very well executed and well thought out. Mm-hmm. You know, Extremely. like for because when they build a conceit for an issue where okay, we're gonna do four panels on the left, and you know, in this particular issue, mm-hmm. it's four panels on the left and one tall panel on the right. Mm-hmm. And even though they don't introduce the seven deadly sins until page two, they maintain the panel structure on page one. Is it all the way through this it one? It is all the way through. Ooh. They keep oh, it. Oh, and look. they keep... Ah, the next chapter, too. They keep it okay. entirely consistent. Mm-hmm. We almost peaked at chapter or 12 or 13. I and might we have can't peaked do that already. So um, this one and the other one that comes to mind is the one where we realize where I've caught that all of the inset panels are exactly the same size as playing cards. Mm, like, yes. Yeah. And that is consistent throughout that entire issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They keep it consistent. So the, it's, these are roughly the same size too. It's almost like, like block style, like a, a grid style. Oh, like the nine block. Boop, boop, boop. Like we yeah. saw in the last issue. The last issue is nine block. Yeah, that's true. Um, Frank Miller used to use that. And Will Eisner in the spirit used to use block, like just grid panels before, Different, you know, before like a variety of crazy panels came with artists like Jim Steranko in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the right years for Steranko is like early seventies. Um, so my note for this first page, other than the layout is amazing, is two things: one, the luxury and texture of the clothing, the tea set, mm-hmm. the curtains. The way that that is executed, like, look at, just look at Wendy's dress. Oh, yeah. All the layers, the folds of everything. The, the way, yeah. it, what's this called? Scallop? Scalloping? Is that right? Uh, fuck if I know. So, th- sh- every time Melinda Gebby draws. Pleats? Pleating. Pleats. Yeah, the pleating of her dress. She has to execute this intricate design every over single and over time and, over. Yeah. and i love it because what it does is it creates this your eyes just won't, you can't look away from the page mm-hmm. because there's it's so it's rich, rich and detailed yeah. it's like looking at um i'm sure you've read uh thousand and one nights Mm-mm. the arabian nights Mm-mm. um have you ever read any like Middle, i mean i Middle know Eastern about night? it okay but i 
I have I've read uh, when I was a kid I had a copy of the 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 Thousand and One Nights the story that has Aladdin in it mm-hmm. and so the illustrations in there were like traditional it was they were all done by like um arabic comic book artists Mm -hmm. like so it was like all arabic illustration and there's actually if you look at um there's an issue of sandman called arabian nights i think it's called Mm -hmm. it's neil gaiman's homage to that style of storytelling no it's called ramadan that's what it's called the issue in sandman is called ramadan and the there is so much intricate visual detail. Like think of the think of the outfits of sultans where like their oh, vest yeah. has a hundred million details and everything is so so detailed and so minutely crafted that you could look at it for twenty hours and not see all the I details. I actually have a book that you should look at um, from my childhood that is the story of Aladdin and um my mom hunted it down a couple of years ago because I was talking to her about it. And I was like, hey, do you still have this book? Mm-hmm. Because the um, illustrations stuck with me and I was sad I didn't have it anymore. And they were so intricate, like the the fine mosaics mm. and Mosaic. all yeah, yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah just. Oh. So this to me is not I mean, this is not that level. It's not quite that level. Yes. But, but. but it it be it. Uh, it acted on me in a similar way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where and I'm I love that we're talking about this in this issue because we see on literally the next page where Lady Fairchild oh no it's this page it's right here where Lady Fairchild tells her like you've never worn expensive jewelry well let's let's mm-hmm. open your eyes to a new right. pleasure and she has this like gorgeous um lacquer furniture mm-hmm. in her bedroom oh my god i mean and can we both agree that her parting gold the curtains, well, drapes yeah can we agree that her parting the drapes is fairly mm. obvious i mean i yeah anyway some labia there i i thought that that was so here's what i wanted to talk about before we move on um really quickly wendy in pink and alice in green and then the first sin of the seven deadly sins that we see i mean the bow tie is what really strikes me is her Mm -hmm. bow tie and the first thing we see is envy Mm -hmm. uh green with envy right Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if i'm not wondering because it's alan moore but i'm thinking that's pretty on the nose but i wanted to talk about that let us wake you to new pleasures Mm -hmm. all right i thought that was interesting because and we've talked about this in previous episodes the sensual appreciation of design mm-hmm. of I wrote down of fountain pen chemex and guitar cuz for me seeing the nib seeing the the gold plated iridium nib of a fountain pen and seeing the line there is I love watching calligraphy videos it's it's, it's ridiculous and it's not I think there's a distinction to be made and this is where this is the importance of my using the word hedonism over and over again rather than just like oh they're sexual explorers and bohemians but they're hedonists especially more is more especially Lady Fairchild which is she takes pleasure in everything and it's not always necessarily sexual pleasure mm-hmm. but her whole thing is anything that gives pleasure because honest to god that's why i well part of why i write with a fountain pen is because neil gaiman writes with fountain pens and that he is my god but um but honestly when you're when you're writing and you're on a roll there 
there can get there's a moment for me in particular when I'm writing with a fountain pen where I'm still writing. It's the words are coming out of me, but part of my mind is is just watching the line and watching. Oh my god, I get that with using a pencil, not like a mechanical pencil, Mm -hmm. but an old school, just regular pencil. I love the way it feels on the paper, the way it sounds on the paper. Like Mm -hmm. I love the way a pencil on paper sounds. I love. Let's let. I'm really. I love the smell of blue ballpoint pen ink. Oh yeah. It smells mm-hmm. so good. I love the way that a page feels after I've written on it in ballpoint pen because when it's kind of got that wibble, I mm-hmm. press really hard. Just recently, I've come to I have two new pleasures in my life. I love the clacking of a typewriter. There are few things that I've encountered lately that are as ple- as as pleasurable to me as the feel of a key because the keys on a typewriter press back against you i have mine you can set the the touch on the typewriter that i just got it's a beautiful old 1951 royal quiet deluxe that bird got me for my birthday you're welcome thank you so much it is two years before the model that ian fleming wrote all of the james bond novels on he had a 1953 royal quiet deluxe no come on this is part of the pleasure of it okay so hearing that clack as the the typewriter hits and it's it's more than that though it's when i pull the page out because the you have struck that well no because i roll it out but Mm. because you have struck that letter into the page if you run your hand Mm. over the back of a Mm -hmm. typed page it's so subtle because there there's that roll there's the i can't remember what it's called but the roller right behind it is so you don't punch through but there's still that little touch of a of a divot in the back of the page where you sort of embossed it Uh, yeah a little Mm bit um well i guess debossed i i've been writing since i was like 11 but i've writing on a typewriter is a completely different experience and it brings me again not sec- i'm not like typing on my typewriter with a massive erection but that you know of no, but, <laughs> but honestly it it brings me so much pleasure and joy i was telling you and your aunt the other night about it where just to hear the sound of the keys my brain will just throw out words where normally I might get stuck and think for a long time. My brain's like, no, 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 don't keep going, keep going. And it'll just throw a word at Mm -hmm. me. And I've been able to accomplish, get a lot of writing done to keep that, that pleasure going that, that, that writing on a typewriter pleasure. Um, I think you are some, I mean, we could, everyone knows that people who are obsessed with guitars find crazy amounts of pleasure in like the cut of a headstock and stuff or the feel of new strings but you were saying that the chemex coffee maker was like a strikingly beautiful design when i first oh yeah it's very visually appealing and it's um just beautifully crafted the classic not the new one right 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 the Um, new one's okay but the classic is something else the the one with the wood hand grip yeah and how uh, all the different materials come together in such a beautiful way and in such a glass leather and wood an appropriate way like rawhide i suppose but i don't know yeah it's Mm -hmm. it is a gorgeous design um and i think in a weird way that's kind of what this issue and a lot of this book has been about is yes sexual pleasure there's Mm -hmm. lots of sex and there's very uh, i would strange sounds judgmental 
But there's like sex on the edge in this book, right? Like there's some fairly extreme stuff in here. But there's also like the first time you smoke opium and then the way that the sheets feel under mm. you. Like mm-hmm. people taking pleasure in just sensation or in sm- smell. I have a, an Instagram that you should follow. Okay. That um, really is, um, uh, that takes pleasure in the sensual. And very much is like in the vein of what you're talking about right now. Um, Well, it's one of the things that I think when we first talked about the interstitial art before this book started, one of the things that grabbed me was the texture in the artwork. mm, Like mm -hmm. the art itself, you can just sit and stare and love. But once you start luxuriating in the art... That's when you notice the minute details. There's so many details. I love it. The texture. I love it. The way that uh, that blue, that blue that we both fixated on in that one of the early issues where Melinda Gebby captures the most perfect blue. The bluest blue. The bluest blue. Like noting things like that. You know what I mean? Um, All right. We can move on. I didn't mean to go off on my typewriter and fountain pen (laughs) fantasies, but uh so I have something to say about the, um, you commented on the clothing earlier, but I have mm-hmm. something further to say. One, the similarities in the two, um, the outfits of the two, yeah. they have the, um, the vertical lines here at happening the at the yeah. front, mm-hmm. but, um, and also the skirt, you have the very, um, long lines at the skirt. Um, but also the very different, um, Wendy is very feminine. There's lots of lace. It's pink. Um, and it's very um, uh, made for the feminine figure to accentuate femininity. Mm. Yeah. Whereas Lady Fairchild is wearing a rather masculine. Uh, I she's wearing a vest. Want. With like what looks sort of like a men's dress shirt. I want her bow tie. Um, and then she's wearing like a very form-fitting skirt and that was very much um a thing of the times as well where women would sort of ape the style of menswear interesting which has happened again and again in history but well i i also think as far as the issue well as far as the 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 theme of the book or Mm -hmm. the conceit or premise of the book i.e erotica goes she is very much as we're going to see on page three or four she is very much in the style of the strict disciplinarian. You have a... Uh, the sort of like school marm. There's a book yeah. in our library. We Our extensive library of like 500 books or whatever we have in the house. Almost, yeah. Almost 500 books. Uh, if you don't count the Kindle books, and if you do oh. count the Kindle books, we have thousands of books. But anyway, <laughs> um, we have a book in our library on, particularly on um, BDSM, Um I think it's called one of a couple. Yeah. You, uh, the mistress manual. Yes. Is that what it's called? So in that book, they talk about a specific BDSM fantasy that comes up again and again, like an archetype. Yeah. Yeah. There are, so they, they break it down into eight archetypes. Mm, eight it's or ten. something like yeah. that, like eight archetypal BDSM fantasies f- from which all fantasies can expound. Basically mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the three stories. Who's your starting block. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, she is very much the, exactly the disciplinarian, you Mm -hmm. know, the school, she's, she's got the, you know, she's slightly masculine hair pulled back very tightly, got the, she's, you know, got the, the waistcoat buttoned up tight, Mm -hmm. the bow tie. She is. What I took away from this was the more like masculine 
And she acts in a masculine way as well. Mas- yes, masculine, yes. What I pulled more from it was, you, like you said, school marm. Mm-hmm. Or, which is, you know, there's, I think they call it in the mistress manual, they call it the, uh, like the naughty schoolboy fantasy, which is mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you've misbehaved and now you have to face the paddle, you know, right. like that sort or of thing. Or you need the the ruler sort of thing, or like you have to run lines or Right, whatever. and the, yeah. the mistress manual is primarily about female dominant BDSM. And what, you know, like a lot of... It is about female dominant. It is. It is 100% about female dominant BDSM. But what I thought was interesting is when you look at the the eight archetypal, basically, female dominant BDSM fantasy archetypes, there are two subsets, which is female female tyrant Mm -hmm. and female comforter or whatever it there's a it, there's a really yeah, or the like goddessy type yeah there's the god there's the the female goddess which is like you are like worshiping the female mm-hmm. or then there's the one where there's one where you like are the male is doing chores and like trying to appease the mm-hmm. the strict like um you know like oh i'm, I'm doing all of these favors for mm-hmm. then there's the there was it they called the amazon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where it's like she's like a warrior queen. That's, and, yeah, yeah. That's very much the leather boots and leather corset. Where it's like you've been captured and now you're going to be tortured. And the whole point of that fantasy is like to trial by fire. Right. It's like I got to get through the spankings to prove my worth. And like you're also maybe just her sex slave. Right. 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 Because you're a prize of war or whatever. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So like, but the 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 goal there is like make it through the the discipline and then. The, but I thought that it was interesting that in that book and in this book, kind of, there's a distinction with the the quote unquote school marm or the disciplinarian. Where like mm-hmm. you've been a very naughty boy, where shame is wrapped up into it too, mm. which I think is important in this issue. Yeah, because Wendy's character is all about shame, sexual shame. Mm-hmm. All right, do you have anything else for page one? Because I got no. some page nope. two. Let's move uh, on. on page- all right. Okay, we need to address the. Maybe elephant in the room. Huh, okay. What race is Wendy? Okay. So I'm really confused, I'm confused by the art by this in this as well. issue. Yeah, because in... Um, so let's see. Panel three, she almost looks Asian, maybe? I was wondering Mediterranean, um, like and, Greek. Uh, and then in... Um, on. Yeah, here. Look um, at here. Uh, we're on flip page, to page five. Look at her her skin tone, especially mm-hmm. panel four when she's getting spanked by Lady mm-hmm. Fairchild. Uh, she native, even, maybe like Native American and then, like, or yeah, Indian. Panel four. Those are the most imperious four. eyes I've ever seen. Yeah, she looks like a Vietnamese mad Vietnamese Vietnamese mom to me. Yeah, she looks like she looks Vietnamese or she looks know. Pacific Islander almost. Like Yeah. And what's really interesting in this issue is Lady Fairchild specifically comments on her skin tone. She does. Page 2 when she's putting the when she's putting Oh on, yeah, she does. She says, "Oh, this will look really great with your skin tone." Yeah. Which is if you look back, now I'll hold your place. Flip back and find other pictures of Dorothy in previous issues like go early 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 like when we're first introduced to her Dorothy is speci- she's very, very white white yeah she is as white as can be like this is before Dorothy's in, uh, introduced I think 
but well, like, she's shown as like brown. Go here. back a little bit, yeah. Uh, in some of the, but like, look at this. Uh, she looks brownish no, here. No, no, no. Look at right here. That one, she definitely she's looks as, fair. She is, yeah. I would say that Dorothy is one hundred in the early issues. But then, yeah, well, she's red. No, 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 no. Look at here. Because when she's in the shower, she's, definitely, yeah. she's flushed, but. Definitely pale. Chapter there. five, page seven. I would say up until this issue, the most consistent representation of her. Is she's Caucasian. She's Caucasian. Yeah, certainly. But then they seem to be suggesting in chapter 12 that, that she's, she's not. not. But we know that she lived in England. And her family and her, is English. Right. And they had a Durling. Durling was the last name. It wasn't like yeah, Durling. foreign folks living no, in England. Durling, Durling is the the name. I just don't know. Because I don't know. Lady uh, Alice comments on her complexion. It's her skin tone. Mm-hmm. specific. What's the line? Can you find it for me? Um, I think it's panel three on page, on chapter. Uh, page I'm three. sure they'll look exquisite with your coloring. Your coloring. Which, I mean, everybody even. Yeah, but I'm telling you, like, like you pointed out, page four, panel four, page five, page four, panel one, panel four. She does not look Caucasian in this issue. <sighs> yeah, I don't but know. when you skip forward, if well, uh, let's see if I can find her. But like, if you skip forward and find an, a drawing of her later in the book, she looks again like like she's kind of yeah like right here there she is she's reverted to to type from earlier in the book i'm not sure I, exactly yeah i was just is. wondering if maybe this was like an off i don't know an off issue or something yeah. i don't know if if like maybe it was just like the art just didn't turn out or mm-hmm. maybe you know we're just meant to infer that you know she's more tanned or something i don't know that was a question that i had reading this one was Mm -hmm. what is what's going on here because the representation of her again and again and again throughout the book is 100 like even the previous the previous issue she's clear she's clearly white and and her Mm -hmm. but her and also we've her face is structured that way she doesn't look she she looks she looks caucasian Caucasian, yeah 100 percent um, and even in this first page, she still looks like she has sort of palish Caucasian skin. Yeah, I was I was confused by this, and I don't know if yeah, it'll come know. up again. We'll see if it does. But um, yeah, that was a question that I had. I love the the seven deadly Art Nouveau sins <laughs> on pages two through eight, where we get the seven deadly sins. Yeah, what did you think of those? They're I, I noticed that they're done in that tall style they are done in the um well this obviously is uh muka nod yeah or he, something he does this um, particular he does type of this specific style mm-hmm. um usually um like seasons or he has um a series of um like the sun and the moon stars um he does a couple of them where it's that tall panel with bracketing like at the top and the bottom and maybe a title at the very bottom. Right. So this is definitely drawing on that. And I actually have like extensive notes <laughs> about these um, panels that we can dig into and talk about if you want to. I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we do that. Yeah, I'm, we'll probably 
put that more towards the end. <laughs> well, yeah, we can do that. But um, the, uh, before we do that, I'm looking at the time on our recording. So what I want to do to make my editing life easier is let's, for the sake of the listeners at home, put a pin in and then continue to record. I'll put both episodes up at the same time okay. so no one's going to miss anything. Sure, sure. So this will be one giant episode. So everyone, we are going to... Um, stop. Take a pee break. We're going to take a pee, ba- a yes. pee <laughs> break and stop the episode here. Um, we'll do all of our Patreon shout outs and stuff in the, the follow up uh, episode where we wrap up chapter 12. And like I said, it's going to be, I'll post it at exactly the same time. So you'll have it all as one. Um, Squarespace just doesn't let me post episodes larger than 160 megabytes. And 160 megabytes is around the two hour mark. And we're at 140. Blah, right blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why we're doing it. Um, so go listen to the second half. Exactly. Join us uh, in just a moment. So we won't even sign off. We'll see you in a bit. 